big idea of the book that, that Christ is in all, he's above all, he's for all, and now we are placed from our sin and into Christ, and that's where we live, that's where we reside. Our lives are hid with Christ on high, and so because we're caught up into the fullness of Christ, so also our language should spill over into him, into <clears throat> bringing glory to him, because our fullness should flow back up to him and out to the world about him. So that's what we're going to divide this section uh, into two, two parts, which is the first is speaking to God about people. Okay? And then the second part is going to be speaking to people about God. All right? So first, God calls us to change how we aim our words in our mouth. And the first place is going to be that we should aim it back to him. Okay? You've heard it said before that, that Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. Right? And that can be just kind of this throwaway line, but what does that mean? That means we need to be in communion, like, you know, speaking to God, hearing from him, right? He, he has revealed himself here in this truth, and, and he invites us to pray to him. He invites us to speak to him, and that is what Paul exhorts us to first. He says right there in verse 2, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, okay? First thing he says is that we should be a people who are praying should have already been, but he says continue it, and he says to do so steadfastly in prayer. It's important to see what he's saying here. It's not just a command to pray. It's an exhortation to keep praying and to pray steadfastly, right? So th this, is, this is something that I, I need to hear. I I've told y'all before, I struggle to pray. I, I want to know kind of what the problem is. And I want to do something about it. Like I God often brings me to the end of my wits, right, so that I have to stop and pray. And that's wrong, but like he knows how I am. He knows I'm hard-headed, and so he brings me to the place where I have no other options, and then I'm, I'm forced to pray with him. And so um, we should not be like that. They don't, like, that's not how he wants your pastor to be. It's not how he wants you to be. Instead, we should be a people who are continually praying, and we are people who keep praying steadfastly. In fact, that we persevere in prayer. Right, this same language is used in, in uh, Luke 18 when Jesus tells the story of the persistent widow. So he tells the story of this, this old woman who just won't give this evil magistrate a break. Right? So Jesus says, hey, there's this, there's this king, and, and he doesn't love God, and he doesn't care about people. He just cares about himself. And so she's coming, trying to get justice for somebody who's, or for herself in, in a case where she's been wronged. And he doesn't want to listen to her, but she just keeps on coming. You ever had anybody like that? They just won't stop. They just won't leave you alone. You know, when you come in the door, okay, here they come, and you might as well just engage them right off the bat, because otherwise, they're just going to stay at you the rest of the time that you're there, right? You know anybody like that? Jesus says, we should be like that in prayer, because eventually this persistent widow wears down this king to where he says, you know what? I don't care about her, but if she doesn't leave me alone, I'll never get back to my business, so he gives her what she wants. Jesus says, we should be like that in prayer. We should be persistent and energetic and keep coming at it. Keep on praying. All right, so here's what Paul is saying here. We should be a people, and we don't just pray once and hope it went through and move on. We should be people who we don't just pray even at certain times of the day. That's good, that spiritual disciplines, right? Time set aside where you're praying and having deep communion with God. That's good and right. But Paul tells the Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. What does that mean? You got to hold it in context with him telling us to be about life, right? We still got to have jobs. We still got to do work. So we, we take this posture of prayer. We take this, this heart posture of prayer where we're praying regularly. 
where it's not always eyes closed in a moment with a candle and a coffee. Maybe it is that sometimes, but it's often as we go and as hard things come, we're talking to God. Lord, help me with this. Lord, help me not strangle this child right now that just smart mouthed me, right? God, help me not snap on my boss. Back to last week, right? Help me, Lord, to obey and bring honor to you in the midst of my boss who's not honoring me right now, right? We're, we're praying, we're pausing, and we're saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help them, right? We're praying for other people. That's going to be the other thing that he's going to quickly move on. He we should be a people of prayer, but he's going to roll it into we should be praying about other people. But I want, to, I want to read the next part first, though, before we get to that, because he says we should continue steadfastly in prayer. That means we don't give up easily. We don't just quit. We don't just do it once. We keep persevering, right? Have you ever given up on prayer? A specific prayer or prayer in general? I think all of us have, right? This is an exhortation to keep going. But he says something interesting right after that. He says being watchful in it with thanksgiving, but being watchful in it. Now, if your Bible's like mine, it may refer you to uh, one of the gospel scenes in Luke or Mark, where, um, or Matthew or Mark, maybe all three, where Jesus is in the garden before he's going to the cross the next day. And you know, Jesus is praying. He's praying so intensely and so hard that his sweat turns to blood. Well, he had brought three of his disciples with him. And he, and he told them to pray with him. But he comes back and he finds Peter asleep. Right? And he tells Peter, he says, Peter, hey, I told you to watch and pray, right? But he tells him, hey, watch and pray that you might not fall into temptation. And he tells him the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What's he talking about? He says, there's this desire within Peter and, and, and Jesus knows it's legit. There's a desire that he wants to follow Jesus. He wants to be there with him, but his flesh is weak. And so he tells him to watch and pray that he might not fall into temptation. And I was like, is, is the temptation, is it, is it sleep? It, because sleep's not a bad thing, right? God made us to need sleep. But in that moment, the most important thing was that he be dwelling with his Savior in the garden, interceding for him, praying for him, engaging in spiritual battle to, to ward off as much as he could. Like that was what was most important. And to sleep, that, that, that draw, that appeal, that need to sleep was in that moment of temptation. And so he tells him to watch and pray. It's interesting. He tells him to, to watch and pray, but it's not just watching for you know, those that are about to come and arrest him, but watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. For us, we need to know that prayer is not just some add-on thing that we should get to if we can. Prayer is essential to our life. Prayer is essential to our following of Jesus. And guess what? If the Bible is telling us that, guess who also knows that? Our enemy. Our enemy knows that your prayer life is vital to you thriving in your walk with the Lord. And so what's he going to do when you're trying to be intent in prayer? What's he going to do? He's going to throw everything he can at you, right? He's going to distract you, right? There's going to be noise coming from the other room, right? You're going to have, you know, an urge to get up and get some more coffee. You're going to have to go to the bathroom. You're going to think about the 72 things you still got to do that day. You're going to think about this. You're going to think about what this person said to you. You're going to get distracted. Or if you're trying to do it at night, you're going to be like Peter and you're going to what? Fall asleep. Y'all know the struggle with prayer, right? You know that all of these things are very natural struggles. And, and, and Jesus is saying, hey, don't let your temptation, don't let your flesh distract you from the most important thing, but be watchful and keep praying. Keep praying, keep persevering. But he adds another thing. He says, do it with thanksgiving. 
Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. What does he mean by that? It means when we come for prayer, this is not just rolling out our wants list and then hoping he heard it and walking away. We should be a people who are, are giving thanks and giving praise to our God. In fact, they go hand in hand. Um, the, John Stott says that praise is, or thanksgiving, right? Praise is the best and necessary companion to, to the prayer that perseveres, right? If we're gonna keep praying, we have to also be giving thanksgiving, right? What does that mean? If we're just focusing on what we don't have and asking God to give it to us, what's going to happen when it doesn't show up? What's going to happen when it doesn't go our way? We're going to quit, right? We're going to get discouraged. We're going to stop praying. Paul says you counter that by being a people of thanks. You counter that by being a people of praise. So we, we first are, should be praying to our God like that with our mouths. If we want our mouths to be transformed, our tongues to be transformed, our words to be used to, to be redeemed and to be used to the redemption of the world, then we have to first make sure we're aiming the majority of them at God, that we're conversing with him. Who we're talking to shapes how we sound. Have you ever noticed that? If you, t- if you have a teenager, they will say things that you do not understand. I ran into one this week, and he told me I look good. At, like He said, man, that jacket looks good on you. The fit goes hard. It's like, is it too tight? <laughs> Maybe I'll get, like, I'm like, what does that mean? He's like, no, man, it looks good. That's what the kids are saying nowadays. I didn't know, right? I didn't know. Fit goes hard, so now you know. You're welcome. He may still be making fun of me, so you might want to double-check that. <laughs> I actually didn't check the source. He might still be mocking me. I don't even know. Maybe he totally played me. So who you're around shapes how you speak, doesn't it? Here in a couple weeks, we're heading out to Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters out in North Carolina with a few folks from our church for a marriage retreat. Uh, years ago, I, I would spend a, two or three weeks a year out there kind of combined, and I would start to talk like them, right? I would pick up on that Southern accent. I, I, and my wife's like, honey, you're not from there. You need to stop, right? It just kind of, I just drop, I, I have this weird, I also have a chameleon laugh, I don't know what brokenness that is related to in me, but I don't have my own laugh. I, like, if I'm around somebody who has a very dominant like, laugh, I'll start laughing like them. And I don't mean to. It's just how it works. It's very strange. And I don't know. I haven't done it in a while. I think maybe I've got my own or maybe I just copied off somebody and that's the one I like. I don't know. But that's how it works. You know that's it. Maybe you're not quite as weird as me, but you know that when you're around other people, you start speaking like them. You start talking like them. We need to make sure that God is our primary influence. We need to make sure our nose is in scripture and our voice is going up to him and let our hearts be shaped by him and praying to him. Okay. So at the same time, he says in verse three, pray also for us, pray for us. So you should be praying. You're going to have your own list of things to pray about. But Paul says, don't stop there. Pray also for us. Who's us? It's the team of people doing ministry, taking the gospel around the globe. He says, pray for us. What's he, pray, what's he say we should pray for? What's our prayer for our missionaries? What's our prayer for our church planners? That God may open a door for the word to be declared that we may declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. Let's not forget where Paul is writing this from. He's in prison and he says, please pray for us. What does he say? Pray that the prison doors would open up so we can get out? No, what does he say? Pray that a door for ministry might open up. Pray that we might be given an opportunity to share the gospel because that's what he's been sent to do. Paul says, whatever suffering I'm going through, God's going to use it for his glory. So help me to know, help me to see, and help me to be like on point whenever God opens a door that I may step through it so that we can declare the mystery of Christ. So we should be a people who are praying for the gospel's advancement. 
Okay? You should be praying for the preachers that are going to get up and preach and declare the word of, of God, myself included, and others around the area. We shouldn't be so narrow-minded to only want our church to be blessed. Right? Should we be a people that are praying for every uh, church in this area to be so encountered with our King Jesus that revival would sweep through here? And not just our area, but in our nation and in our world, right? You want to know somebody to pray for on the on mission board out back on the far left. There's a card of a family there that's serving in Central Asia in a place that I can't even name publicly to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ who have only heard of Allah. Right? We should be praying for them. And what do we pray for them? This right here. Same thing Paul said to pray for them. Pray that a door might be open for us to declare the mystery of Christ. You can stop and grab one of their cards. On the way out, we, 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 uh, we hope to share a little bit more with you. They've been in and out of country, and COVID has been weird for them too. We hope to share a little bit more with you soon. But them, you know other missionaries. We should be praying for them that God would open doors for them. Why? <clears throat> Paul says that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So Paul says, listen, I've been sent with a very specific purpose. Please pray that I would do that well, that I would preach well, that people would know Christ through our preaching, through our ministry. Pray for us, right? So there's a purpose to this. We should be praying to God about people, about the advancement of the gospel, about people in our area, that people would know the truth of the gospel, that they would be able to see through the hypocrisy and, the, and some of the stuff that has brought them to the place of dismissing Christianity. We should be praying that the gospel would pierce through that and go forward. We should be praying for revival. We should be praying for missionaries. We should be praying for church planners. We should be praying for pastors as the word is proclaimed. Pray that God would use it in power. And that's, so Paul says, pray for us. Keep praying. Don't give up. Don't stop. This is bigger than you. Remember, he got really practical about our marriage and our family, but he's bringing us back and remembering, hey, your whole life has been changed. If you're here hearing the gospel, it's a miracle. If you believe the gospel, it's an even bigger miracle. Your life has been changed. Don't get a narrow focus and go, okay, but I just, what about tomorrow morning? No, no, no. Your whole trajectory of eternity has been changed now. And you're a part of something bigger. And you are part of the kingdom of God going forward. And so we should be a people who are praying for the kingdom of God to go forward. So we should be talking to God about people. And then secondly, we should be talking to people about God. So in verse 5, he says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech also or always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. Okay, so there are... There are, and there's, this, there's a tension here between, okay, I'm not called a vocational ministry, like he's the preacher, right? Some people, used, some people still call me the preacher, that's fine, like I don't, I, don't, I don't care. Some people, you know, that's the preacher, that's, that's the pastor, right? So some people just think, okay, he's called to preach, like we're, you know, we're just the people. Well, here's the deal, we're all actually called into ministry. We're, we're called to make disciples as we go. Now, there are specific gifts, specific calls for certain people that are going to be the ones who are heralding the truth like as a primary gift and as a primary vocation, right? So there are there's gifts of evangelism, gifts of preaching, pastoring that are going to be used in that way. But that doesn't mean that the rest of us don't have a task and a role in advancing the kingdom of God. So what does that look like? Do we all then just become preachers or do we all just stand on a street corner and declare? Like he might call you to that, but what it looks like mostly is as we take the kingdom of God as you. Think about how many different occupations are represented here in this space. Think about how many different people, if you think about the multiplied effect of how you are going to be around people tomorrow morning, 
that out of this room, nobody else will be around. That's your two, three, four, maybe, maybe more, right? Maybe you're in a classroom full of kids. Maybe you got 25. The rest of us aren't, don't have that platform. Not in your classroom with you, right? You think about that influence multiplied out now. The kingdom going forward as we leave this space and we go out into the world, we go and do our jobs, that's where the ministry really gets multiplied and really gets amplified. So what is your role in that? What is your role in that? Are you just looking for an opportunity to go through some gospel presentation and some spiel? Maybe. Maybe. Are you just called to live a faithful life and hope that somebody asks you about the gospel? Right? There's a famous quote, I think it's from St. Francis of Assisi, and I know the heart behind it, but it says, preach the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. We're going to need to reject that. Because the gospel is words. The gospel is actually news. The gospel is actually something that has to be declared, has to be spoken. Okay, So we don't just get to live a faithful life and hope that somebody will ask us about our Jesus just because we didn't order a beer at dinner. Right? We don't just get to you know, be really nice to people at work and hope that someday they'll bring it up. Right? No, we have to be ready to both live faithfully as a witness, but also be ready to speak faithfully as a witness. And so Paul tells us, hey, you now walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Right there, there's an implication that you should be intentionally around outsiders. He doesn't say walk in wisdom so you can avoid outsiders. Right? You're not trying to, you know, you know, it's not that you don't want to catch their sin. You don't want to get too close to them. No, he says be intentional about your interactions with outsiders. Walk in wisdom. Make a plan. Be intentional about putting yourself around people that don't yet know Jesus. They're outsiders, not because you know, they're, they're without hope or with their, you know, they're filthy and you should stay away from them. No, they're outsiders because they haven't yet heard the gospel to be brought into the family of God. So be, be intentional about that. Walk in wisdom toward that and do what? Making the best use of the time. You have a limited amount of time here on this earth. You know that. And it's scary, isn't it? Paul says, don't just like, you know, ride it out, but be intentional about it. Make the best use of your time. Lord, how do you want to use me to bring glory to your name? How do you want to use me to preach the gospel to people who have not heard it yet? Maybe here at Illinois, or maybe, maybe going to the unreached people groups of the world. You only have one life to live. Like, how do we spend it? How, don't waste your life, Pastor John Piper would say leverage it for the advancement of the gospel. Okay, so how do we do that? He says, let your speech always be gracious. That right there is a powerful witness in today's world, isn't it? I heard some pastors say the other day, like the bar for being like just a witness, like the light in the world is so low right now, like just don't be a jerk. And everybody's like, man, there's something different about that guy, right? <sighs> Set him down, pick his brain, right? He's really figured things out. This is not hating on everybody, right? Like it's a really low bar just to be kind and not be a jerk right now. Let, so when people speak to you, reply with gracious replies. Like, and, it's, and it has an impact. It really does. Because nobody's doing that right now. Everybody's attacking the other side for what they believe about this or what they think about that or who they voted for or who they're going to. Like it's all sorts of vitriol and all sorts of division. Paul says, hey, be, be gracious. Let your speech always be gracious. Then he goes on to say, season with salt. Okay, so there's an intentionality here. Um, 
where we have to be ready, it says, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Okay, so, so let, me, let me just, let me paint it this way. So for years, I think, in the church, um, and, and out of good motivation, I think people shifted into um, a word-only sort of approach to ministry. And what I mean by that is people, there was a, there was a whole lot of emphasis on evangelism and, um, and, you know, and that translated into like door-to-door evangelism. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Some of you are here and in the kingdom today because somebody knocked on the door and told you about Jesus and praise God for that, right? But, but a lot of churches just made that, what does it mean to be on mission? It means we're going to go out and try to, you know, come up with random encounters or create, in, you know, encounters to ask people, what about their spiritual life? Present them the four spiritual laws or whatever format, right? How, how many of you have been trained in some evangelism tool, whether that be the Romans Road or evangelism out, like we've gone through different series and different evolutions of that, and those are not wrong. But I think for a long time, it was, okay, how do we evangelize? We need to go door to door. We need to create these things. Well, then some, some people who thought they were too cool for that shifted away and said, no, that's dumb. That doesn't make disciples. It just makes maybe some converts and maybe not even that, right? So we shifted over here. We need to be missional. What does that mean? We need to get life on life with people, right? Don't just... Meet them and then tell them the gospel. Take them to coffee. Bring them to dinner. Get to know them. Do life with them. And that's not wrong either. But the problem with that is a lot of people just keep doing that. They just keep loving them. They just keep taking them to coffee. And after we've been to coffee 75 times, maybe I'll ask them if they want to come to church with me. And I'm over-exaggerating, obviously, but we, we let the pendulum swing too far, right? We don't want to just do, you know, you don't know me, but I'm here to talk to you about your eternity. Maybe we push away from that. Maybe that's not totally right. So then we go all the way over here. Let me get to know you, right? Which translates into like seven years, and, and we're afraid to talk about our faith. We need to be able to do both. We need to be ready to do both. What does that mean? That means we need to both love people, invite them into our life, do life with them, but also be ready to speak the truth to them. The gospel is actually words. It actually needs to be proclaimed. It actually has to be said, right? What, you, might, you might just be wondering, like, what even is the gospel? Isn't this just about being kind and loving people and, you know, being, being you know, loving, right? And that, a lot of conversations about what do we do, they boil down to love, right? Well, I just, I'm just called to love people. Well, what is love? Because it's not that simple. If we're gonna be loving we also have to speak the truth, right? Sometimes we'll, we'll over-romanticize Jesus hanging out with the sinners. And Jesus hung out with the sinners at great cost to his reputation, didn't he? Right? Jesus was called a friend of sinners, not, not like in a good way, right? Jesus called a drunkard and a glutton. He's hanging out with prostitutes. Like it was freaking everybody out. It was great cost to him that he loved people publicly that the rest of the world had written off into the margins. And sometimes we over-romanticize that. We just want to be, like, we want to engage them. We're, we're, yes, I know they're, you know, they're here and they're in this lifestyle or they're here and they're living this way. I want to be known. I want to love on them. I want to have them in our home. Well, listen, that's good and right, but don't forget that Jesus also had the courage to look at the woman at the well who caught him a lot of flack for even speaking to her. He had the courage to also tell her, hey, go call your husband. What is that? That's a confrontation of the truth. Jesus was full of both grace and truth, and he didn't lay either one down for anybody. Grace led him to ask that woman for a drink that nobody would dare speak to, that nobody would dare make eye contact with. Truth was when he said, hey, go call your husband. And that takes courage, right? Because the fear is, well, if I go right there, right then, I'm going to lose the relational rent or the relational, you know, 
investment that I've made with her, she might walk away. I might not get to tell her about God. But Jesus does it anyway. He does it with grace and truth. He tells the rich young ruler, hey, you're going to need to sell everything you own and give it to the poor if you want to come to me. He doesn't apologize about these truths. He speaks both. He tells the, the sinners that he forgives, hey, get up and go sin no more. So it's grace and truth. We have to be ready and willing to do both. So yes, love on people. Yes, serve them. Yes, meet physical needs. Yes, bring them into your home. Yes, 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 please do that. But be ready to speak the truth as well. Romans 10, famous passage about how do we, you know, how do we get saved? I'm going to read this to you. Romans 10, verse 10 through 17. It says, for with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. You've heard that before? For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. It's the same Lord as the Lord overall, bestowing his riches on all who would call on him. For everyone, praise God, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then? How then, Paul says, will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who have they not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sin? And as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed, who has believed what he has heard from us? So the faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So yes, love them. But know that love also includes speaking truth to them. And the truth is their sin has them headed to hell, just like yours and my sin did has to come with humility, right? And if we don't share that with them, I think it was Penn, a Penn and Teller, famously said years ago, and he does not believe. He's not a Christian. He would make fun of us mostly. But he says, if you believe what you say you believe, and you don't tell me about it, that's the most unloving and hateful thing you could possibly do. If you believe I'm headed to hell, if I don't repent and follow Jesus, and you don't have the nerve or the love to speak that to me, don't tell me you love me, because clearly you don't. Right? To love someone is to speak the truth. To love someone, and the, the greatest truth we can speak is indeed the gospel. Right? So we have to be ready for do, to do this. I think the church has overemphasized the word piece for years, and then I think they overcorrected with the mission piece. We have to do both. Yes, I don't think it should just be random encounters, but the Lord may lead you to into random encounters in which you get to quickly share the word of truth, and he may use that. Right? So it's, it's not just this, oh, I do evangelism on Wednesday nights when we go knock on doors. You should be doing evangelism as you live your life. How do you do that? Okay, how do you do that? Let's get back to the passage. Paul says we should walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Okay, so that right there implies an intentionality about how we approach and put ourselves around people who don't yet know Jesus. You should be strategic about that. Like seriously, talk in your family. Who do we have favor with or a relationship with who does not yet know Jesus? Identify them, name them, and then say, okay, how do we serve them? We're gonna, and, and I mean like, okay, we'll have them over for dinner next Thursday night, right? Just like, don't make it. Don't like, hope that you have some random encounter at the water cooler where you get to, you know, start. Like, maybe that happens. Or you can just invite them for dinner. Right? Some of you make it really hard. Christians, we can be weird. Let's not be weird. Just invite them over for dinner. Hey, my wife and I are going out for dinner, or we're going to do this. You guys want to come hang out? We're going to barbecue. We're going to have a bonfire. Would you guys want to come? I'm going to have some people from my community group over. I'm going to have some people from my church over. Why don't you come? Right? We start to be intentional about how are we around outsiders. And then Paul says, let your spirit, let your speech always be gracious. And then what? Salty. 
Paul tells us to be salty. Now you got to be careful because that also means something different in today's world, right? Probably not to the kids anymore. So you get in this weird spot where you're not connected to the young crowd, but you're not quite, you know, where your grandparents were. Do you, you think things like salty are still popular? And then you say it to the teens and they're like, no, 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 nobody says that anymore, right? I don't know where this stands, but there's, you know, if you read the Urban Dictionary, it's going to say salty is talking about somebody who's just gotten mad about something small, right? They're, they're ticked, they're upset, right? So-and-so is salty because I beat them at basketball or salty because I look better than them in these boots or whatever. You know what I mean? Like they're salty, right? So you got to be careful. Don't just say the preacher told me to be salty and then have like a, you know, a face about you all week. That's not the deal, right? Paul says our speech should be seasoned with salt, right? So what does that mean? What does it mean to, uh, for, our, <clears throat> for our, our speech to be salty, right? Um, well, I think there's some practical implications to that, like be intentional with our speech. Proverbs uh, 25 says a word fitly spoken is like apples of, of gold in a, in a setting of silver. Uh, soft answer, Proverbs 15, turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger, right? So we should be intentional about that so that our speech is seasoned with salt. But let's think a little bit more practically about what does salt do? And what does salt do? Now for them, in this world, it's going to do, um, a primary thing is going to be, it's going to be preserve, right? So for them, salt is a preservative, right? They don't have refrigerators, so what are they going to do if they're going to keep some meat? They've got to shove salt down into it, right? Otherwise, it's going to rot, Jesus tells us we're going to be the salt and light of the earth. What does that mean? We should keep, like, this thing's going to, it's going to crap, right? You watch the news, you're like, man, this whole thing's going downhill. Jesus says, yeah, 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 you're going to be the thing that preserves it. Yes, it's rotting, but you get to get pressed into the crevices. Where you work, you get pressed in that crevice, there's a little salt. Where you work, pressed into that crevice, there's a little salt. Where you go and play, where you recreate, where your kid plays ball, soccer, softball, whatever, you go there, you're around those parents, there's a little bit of salt, right? You go here, a little bit of salt. At your schools, a little bit, you know what I'm saying? And so Jesus says, you're going to be the salt of the earth. You're going to preserve this thing until I come back. I'm coming back. I'm going to harvest this. It's going to be awesome but I'm gonna need you to preserve it. That's what the people of God do, right? So we're preservative. I don't think that's primary to what Paul has in view here because he says that we should actually be seasoned with salt. Our speech should be seasoned with salt. So I think it's relevant still. It's, it's, a, it's a teaching of the scripture, but I think particularly here, it says to be seasoned with salt. What, what is that about? Well, what, is, what does salt do when we season it? When we season with it, what does it do? That's flavor, doesn't it? That's flavor, just simply. Bite into something, there's no taste. What are you going to do? Look for the salt shaker, right? Just need some salt. What does it do? It adds flavor. What does it mean with your speech? It means when you are brought into conversation, you should speak in such a way that it adds flavor to the conversation. Don't just be comfortable with status quo platitudes and surface level conversations. Be the one who asks hard questions. Be the one who says the hard thing. Not in a mean way, not in a jerk way, but be the one that says, well, what about this? Or be the one that brings up the hard conversation or the hard topic. Like, add some flavor to it in such a way that it spices it up. Like, push the conversation in an intentional way. You ever been in that conversation? You're like, man, this could probably, this could probably lead to the Lord, right? But then you don't speak up and it just goes into some other nonsense. You ever been there? Paul says, don't do that. Speak up, ask the question, be bold right? Go there. Be intentional about it. So salt adds flavor. What, what else does salt do when you put it on your food? Makes you thirsty, doesn't it? Salt makes you thirsty, doesn't it? Paul says, you should speak in such a way that when you're around outsiders that don't know the truth, that what you say 
makes them long for a drink of living water. What you say makes them long for an answer that can satisfy this thirst in their soul, satisfy this longing in their soul. So be salty with your speech. Be seasoned with salt. Speak in such a way that that it makes people want to know more. It makes people want to know, how could you say that? How could you not be so anxious in this time of chaos? How could you have this posture? How could you have this hope? How could you have a smile in the midst of what's going on in your world? Right? We speak, we live in such a way that makes them long for a drink of what we have. Jesus tells the woman at the well, he says, right? You drink from this, I give you living water, you'll never thirst again. People have a craving for that. God has placed eternity into the hearts of man. Sin has jacked it up and removed us from that source of eternal life, but it's still there. People are longing for it. Paul says we should speak in such a way that stirs that up. Why? So that we're ready to give an answer to each person. That's how the passage ends. So that you may know how to answer each person. So you're ready. When they get stirred in that way, you are ready with an answer. So some people are going to be called to preach like me from a stage or from a time or to certain people and to herald the gospel. Most of us are going to be called to live in such a way that we have sort of secondary conversations that come up naturally through living our life that, that we then speak up and share the gospel. So does it, does it mean you have to have a sermon ready? No. Does it mean you have to have some particular walkthrough acronym of the gospel ready? Maybe, maybe not. But, but what you should be is season with salt, gracious, and intentional. And when you do that, the Lord will use you for the advancement of his kingdom. So uh, how do we do that? Because I know it's still very theoretical. Okay, I want to point you back to a resource we've, we've uh, looked at a couple times. Once a year and a half ago or so when Anthony preached, we looked at a thing called Three Circles. I linked it on your app if you want to go to just their website. It'll be helpful for you. There's some other resources. There's going to be some cards on what was the communion table on your way out. Just have a simple um, kind of you know, starter card for you to kind of even keep in your pocket. But again, maybe you have your plan. Maybe you still know the sport, four spiritual laws and Romans Road. It's fine. This is not so much a say this, this, and this, and this. This is more of a framework with which to direct your conversations toward the gospel. So it's three circles. So it, it's, it's fairly simple, right? It talks about, um, you know, there's brokenness in the world, and we all know that. So when that comes up in conversation, you're intentional in a way to share, hey, I, I'm, I know that brokenness too. But can I tell you how I found hope and healing? And then you you talk about how God made the world good and it's broke because of sin. And the only way that sin gets fixed is not through trying harder, doing better, or getting more, but through turning to Jesus. And when we turn to Jesus, we are restored back to the life that we were made to live that we are longing for, right? So it's a simple framework, but it allows you to look intentional at different conversations and opportunities to bring it up. So grab that card on your way out, look at the website, spend some time there. But here's really simply just be intentional. Look for hints of brokenness and struggle in your conversations with people. Be looking for them. They're going to happen. People are going to express their struggle to you. They're going to express their angst to you. And be ready to turn that into an opportunity to tell your story. Opportunity to tell Jesus' story. To declare to them the good news of the gospel. Which is what? Yeah, the reason you feel brokenness is because you were made for a holy God. But our sin, my sin, keeps us away from him. And you're going to feel that brokenness until you're restored to him. And the only way to be restored to him is not through doing better, trying harder, but through trusting in Jesus as your Savior. You can do that, right? And, and so that's the story of Jesus. That Jesus came and lived the life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we should have died. And he rose to give us the victory that only he should have. 
right? That's the story of the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus has come to save sinners. And you can tell it. You can tell it intentionally with your life, with your words, being ready to speak in such a way that it prompts questions, that it prompts interest in your faith. And then they may ask you a question you don't know the answer to. So what? Say, you know what? I'm not sure. Let, let's spend some time this week looking. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll call my pastor. I'll call someone. I'll get a book. We'll look together, right? You could not overwhelm me with questions like that and inquiries like that. I could not spend too much time with people wanting to know, hey, I'm talking to this person about Jesus. Can you help me with questions? Like, no, that would be the privilege of any, of any fellow believer, right? So please don't be afraid to not know all the answers and still bring it up approach with humility, that will also be a witness for your, for your Jesus as you just say, you know what, I'm not sure, but let's figure it out together. So look for, look for hints and signs of brokenness and then be ready to speak the truth into them, right? So people say, man, this world's a mess in it, or man, I don't know how you don't lose your mind dealing with this or that, right? Be ready to insert the salt into that. Okay, so here's, here's how we wrap all this up. Paul says, be intentional with your speech. But it's worth noting that the, the end, like, this, um, the end of this section here of sort of applied Christianity, if you will, um, the exhortation to share our faith, be seasoned with speech, comes at the end. Not because it's less important than how we live our marriages and our families and our work, but because without the backing of those other things, our speech is going to be empty and hollow. You see what I'm saying? So if we're just, if we just start out saying, hey, let's all be ready to share the gospel, but we have a terrible marriage and our kids are in terrible place and we are a terrible employee or a terrible boss, then who gives a snot what you say about Jesus, right? You see what I'm saying? If you don't work, if it, you don't have to be perfect. Don't hear me saying that. But if you don't have a life of alignment where you're following Jesus in such a way, again, not that you're perfect, but that you are seeking to honor him in your marriage, you're applying the gospel there and in your family and in your work. If, if those things are all out of line and nobody ever sees that, and then you start talking, they're going to look at you like, what? Right? But when that's backed with a life of humble following of Jesus, and then you speak up, now you have some credibility, right? So it comes at the end of this exhortation of applied Christianity. So some of, some of y'all need to work on that. And imagine how much more effective your invitation to church or your re response to the world's mess, right? Or sincere in inquiry of how you can pray for somebody. That can be a powerful witness and testimony that starts a conversation. If you just ask, how can I pray for you? And you mean it. You, know, you want to listen, how much more power does that have whenever you have sought to live this out in the rest of the areas of your life? And it's just not get all this figured out and then go on mission. No, these things happen at the same time. The more you're on mission, the more it's going to push you to, you know, have a holistic following of Jesus in the rest of your life. So you don't have to graduate from discipleship 101 where you got all these, you know, marriage check, family check, job check. No, no, all that's still going to be a work in process. It doesn't mean you wait to start sharing your faith, start advancing the kingdom. No. We're praying always that this thing called the gospel that has changed our life, that has changed the world, keeps going. That Jesus' kingdom keeps advancing. People in Central Asia and beyond, and the people right in your family that don't yet know him, people right in your workspace that don't yet know him, you keep praying. You don't give up. You keep praying. You keep praying. You keep praying. You keep asking God to use you, and then you're ready like being prayerful and watchful will then prepare you to actually speak whenever you have the opportunity to come up. Let's pray.
God, help us to be a people who have transformed tongues. Help us to be a people who have uh, transformed hearts, first and foremost, but then that leads into how we speak and how we live. And Father, we, we don't want to just preach about and lob these ideas of revival out or your kingdom coming. We want to see that. We want to see people who don't know you come to know you. We want, to, we want the message of Jesus who uh, has been hidden in some ways here in Southern Illinois. It's been hidden by hypocrisy. It's been hidden by this, this, this fake plastic smile that a lot of people have seen about churches and people have, have failed to see the true glory of the gospel. We want you to break through all that and we want to see people come to know you and come to be saved and their lives be turned around. We want to see you push back the darkness of addiction, push back the darkness of broken homes, push back the darkness of poverty right here in Marion and Southern Illinois and beyond. Lord, we want to see that, your gospel going forward, your name changing lives. So we humbly come asking that you would use us Help us to not lose sight of that is what is happening. That is what you've called us to. And everything that we do, our marriage, our families, our jobs, and not least of these, our words matter. Help us to be more like you, Jesus. You know the hearts. You know what's going on here today, Lord. Would you speak during this time of, of invitation? Give us the courage and the faith to step forward and to come to you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.